0: The mercy that we find in your name. And I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd come and encourage us where we need encouragement. You'd come and stir us where we need stirring. You'd come and refresh us where we need refreshment. But ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our midst this morning. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you, particularly this morning, for this account in the book of Acts, of the greatest mission ever seen or heard in the history of humanity, the proclamation of the good news of a Savior who's come to save. And I pray that that reality would never lose its power and its effect in our lives. We ask that for the glory of your name, King Jesus. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to pick up the narrative. As I said, it's this unique account that we're working our way through. God's incredible plan of salvation, his pursuit of a people, beginning, of course, with his followers in Jerusalem, expanding to Samaria, and then as he proclaimed it would. We'll see this message proclaimed and brought to the very ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth, one translation says. And by the way, before we launch into this, I don't know whether you've had an opportunity to admire the display here, and we are, of course, heading towards on the church calendar next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church, always a special moment, and we're A week early here because some of you might not know, but we have a Messianic congregation, Canberra's Messianic congregation, that uses our facility. They meet on a Saturday and on the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Weeks, which we know as Pentecost begins this coming week. And so for the first time, and by the way, I think it's a great joy to be able to see this facility used for the kingdom. And we have not only the Messianic community, Hope Church is doing a monthly prayer meeting, And of course, there's other outreach events that we're um, hosting and holding, prayer gatherings, community uh, soup kitchens, etc. But it really is, I think, it blesses my heart to see this building being used beyond just us, as wonderful as this is for many other kingdom purposes. But we thought for the first time we would do a combined messianic slash vision creative display. And so that's what you see represented here. The picture of Pentecost and then, of course, the Jewish Festival of Weeks representation. There's some um, information you can read to familiarize yourself with uh, exactly the different elements there. And hopefully next Sunday, Lord willing, when it is Pentecost Sunday, I'll spend a bit of time explaining a little bit more in that regard. Just so you're clear of what exactly is happening over there in the corner of our building. So where we are at this point in the book of Acts, we've seen the gospel spread throughout the immediate region. In fact, Acts 9:31, which I know Adam covered a couple of weeks back, it says this. So the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So that's an incredible picture already, the gospel, the Holy Spirit's come, the gospel has spread to the immediate surrounding region. A miracle in and of itself, if you bear in mind that we're talking about Jews and Samaritans who are not always the best of friends, and yet the gospel has united them together in and through the work of Christ. And the church is being built up, it's being multiplied, there's the fear of the Lord, there's the power of the Spirit and yet the lord wasn't done yet this was only the first initial stage of that which he proclaimed would happen with this great commission to bring the gospel to the world and in fact we find ourselves here at chapter 10 at possibly the most arguably the most significant transition in the book of acts in that it is the one that is most applicable to most of us i suspect in this room, and what we're going to see here is not only an explosion geographically of the gospel, but a breaking down of the greatest remaining barrier to the spread of the gospel, which is that between Jews and Gentiles. And in fact, as we read the following chapters from this particular moment, we'll see the God, God opening the door and building what will become. I would say, the launching pad for the greatest missionary movement the world has ever seen. Just a few chapters later, Acts 17, 6, it describes the disciples coming and the people around say, here come those men who've turned the world upside down. Of course, we might say they've turned it the right way up. But nevertheless, that was the impact that they had. The repercussions of this missionary movement I still felt today, we're here because the gospel spread explosively throughout the world and this breaking down of any divisions that would hinder the gospel. And so all of that happens in a seemingly out-of-the-way place, a place called Joppa. That's the title of my message this morning, a place called Joppa. And I want us to explore not just what happened here, but how it happened. Of course, we're trying to glean as we go through this book. What is it that marked the early church? What is it that the Lord has accomplished? And how did he accomplish this great mission in and through the lives of the early believers? So let's jump in together. Let's pick up one verse at the end of chapter 9. It says this, And he, being Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. So the scene is set in Joppa, Peter through a whole series of circumstances, the gospel spread and Adam covered a couple of miracles at the end of chapter 9. Someone's raised from the dead, someone was bedridden, you know, incredible stuff just sort of tucked away there at the end of chapter 9 and through this series of events... Peter has arrived in Joppa, a little seaside community. In fact, it says here in the text, he stayed in Joppa for many days. The nuance there sort of indicates that he was almost thinking, I might stay here for a little while. Nice little seaside community for many days. He's settling in. He's thinking, perhaps this is my poetic license here. Maybe this would be a nice place just to rest a little while. The church is Going well, they're being multiplied. You know, the Lord's really doing some thing. People are being raised from the dead. And maybe it's time for me to start thinking about a little holiday house by the sea, some retirement plans and options. But of course, the Lord has a very different agenda. Just 30 miles away, a couple of days' work, we're going to encounter now in chapter 10, a centurion by the name of Cornelius. Let's read together. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come say to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror. He said, What is it, Lord? He said, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. So now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So already there's some unusual occurrences that are happening in this account. A centurion. Now, we we read here that he was a God-fearing man. Uh, I know there's been some schools of thought over the years that have suggested that perhaps he was already a believer. Well, that wasn't the case. And in fact, as this story in Acts chapter 11 is relayed again, it specifically says, this is Acts 11, 13, 14, it says, uh, as the angel appears, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So we can see clearly that he's a God-fearing man. He's a man who has left the pagan Roman culture that surrounded him. It says he did pray to the one true God. He was generous in his gifts, his generosity towards those around him, but he was at this point outside the family of faith. And in fact, this is what the story is all about. This is essential to what God is about to do. There is a man who the Lord has set aside to be the first Gentile, if you like, to receive the message of the gospel, to hear it and to believe. And in fact, I would say this is a wonderful picture of evangelism of the Holy Spirit both preparing the hearer and also preparing the proclaimer or the preacher, which we'll see in a moment. And it is only the Holy Spirit that softens hearts. It's only the Holy Spirit's power that breaks down walls. It's only the Holy Spirit that convicts sin and leads to repentance. The Holy Spirit here has prepared this man to receive the gospel. See... So often, I know in my own life, I've misinterpreted evangelism as being you know, some sort of heavy lifting work. You know, I've got to get out there with a jackhammer. It's, it's going to be hard. There's going to be opposition. It's up to me to really break down the dividing walls. And when I first got saved in my late teens, I sort of took it upon myself. I'm going to debate people into the kingdom. I'm going to push through. And the reality was I saw very little, if any, fruit whatsoever. And I think there is this in important but encouraging reality of the Lord as we read this account, just reminding us that it is ultimately His work. It's not up to us to do His work for Him. I had this funny example, I remember a few years ago now at the, the property that we own and trying to do some, uh, some work around and there's was, there was a lot of rocks, like we have feature rocks on steroids in our place you can't grow much but there's plenty of rocks and I was trying to dig these trenches to put in retaining walls and all I had was I had a jackhammer and I had a shovel and I was getting nowhere fast until I noticed the neighbor's property just across the way and he owned a fencing business and he had all this heavy lifting equipment excavators bobcats you name it it was all available there and I remember saying to my wife at the time I said No, I think we need to make friends with the neighbours. And so we did. We had them over and we had a few conversations. Then I said to her, you know, I wonder how good friends we have to be before I can ask the neighbour to borrow his uh, heavy earth moving equipment. Well, I tested the water after a few such engagements and he was a very gracious gentleman next door and he lent me his heavy lifting equipment and in one afternoon I accomplished what I would not have been able to accomplish in a lifetime with my jackhammer and shovel. And there is that reality that we have the heavy lifting equipment. We have the Holy Spirit. And too often we feel like it's a mission to rely and do things in our own strength. Whereas I read this story and I'm like, this this is the picture of the kingdom. It's not about Peter's strategy and Peter working up within him I've just got to get the plan right and I've got to be you know have the passion I've got to have everything lined up and then the door to the Gentiles will be opened up it's just about being obedient to what God's saying and God will lead him there and in fact it says Cornelius he's gathered his household as we read the rest of the account you'll find out that they were so prepared and so ready it says Peter hasn't even finished his sermon I wonder if he's a little bit offended it's like I didn't even get to my punchline at the end it wasn't even an altar call. There was no you know, nice mood music. But before he'd even finished proclaiming the glory of the gospel, it says they were so ready, they're so hungry. Y- yes, yes, we'll take it. The Holy Spirit falls and the door to bring the gospel to the Gentiles is blown wide open. So let me remind you that we have the heavy lifting equipment. It's called the Holy Spirit. And that's our need and our privilege is to rely upon his strength. It's his mission, not our own. So let's let's read on from verse 9. We've talked about Cornelius. He's this Gentile centurion. God's prepared his heart to receive that which Peter would bring. And it says, the next day. So, Cornelius has sent his servants, as we'll find out, it's a two day journey to get there. So the next day, just as these servants are about to arrive where Peter is staying in Joppa, it says, as they, being the team that Cornelius had sent to approach Peter, were on their journey and approaching the city the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the six hours, about the middle of the day, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Now, the, the actual construction of the sentence here is more than just, he'd skip breakfast and he was a bit hungry. Was, it's almost a sense that there's this divine stirring within him. God's prepared Cornelius, but he's now preparing Peter and he's, he's hungry. There's something stirring with it. God's up to something. There's this divine hunger, which makes sense when he sees what he's about to see from the Lord. But while they were preparing him some food, it says he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Verse 12, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said a phrase that really is completely contradictory. He says, no Lord, by no means Lord. Like, I know you're Lord, but... No, no, Lord, this, this doesn't make any sense. No, Lord, for I have not eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, this happened three times, again and then again. And then the thing, this vision, this sheet, you could imagine it almost as a, you know, a movie screen, was taken up at once to heaven. So' verse 17. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he'd seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. It called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was looking there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him again, "Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them." And Peter went down to the men. He said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? See, probably they were trying to hide Peter. I mean, there'd been some division and opposition, persecution. But Peter comes down, he's like, it's all right, it's me. I'm the man that you're looking for. What's the reason that you're here? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests, remembering it's two days' journey. This is now the end of the day. They spend the night together. It says the next day he rose and went away with them. Some of the brothers, will find out later, it was six. Six other brothers accompanied Peter from Joppa. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. That's where we'll pause this morning. And as I said, reflect and ponder What it is that the Lord is stirring? What is it that he is setting the scene for before we jump right in next week to the reality and the fullness of this next transition in the book of Acts? So we see here, the scene has been set in Joppa. And I think there is much that we can learn from this account. Not only, as I said, about what the Lord has and will accomplish, but the means by which he has chosen to accomplish that which he would do. And there's three simple realities. If you're taking notes, number one, we see very clearly in Joppa, this reality, we've seen it all the way through, but I love this picture right here as we're at this significant, important transition. There is an undeniable reality of God's sovereign timing. God is a God of sovereign timing. In fact, many of us would be aware there's a word in the Hebrew. We talk about the kairos moments of God. That there are moments in the kingdom. There's moments where God has a point. In fact, Scripture says He's the God who appoints times and seasons. There is this sense in the midst of this story of the sovereign timing of God. And yet what I love about it is it's undeniably the Lord. As Peter recounts this whole journey in the following chapter and all that the Lord's done, he's like, it's undeniably the Lord. And the disciples are all around. They're like, whoa, okay, well, that's clearly the Lord. The Lord has done this. And yet it's very obvious as well here and as we read, later on in the chapters, that it was also undeniably unexpected. Undeniably the Lord, but undeniably unexpected. You see, Peter wasn't, and this is what it often grabs me about the book of Acts. Peter wasn't sitting down strategizing. There was no apostolic planning meeting. Now they did get together, and we'll look in Acts 15 about how the authority of the uh, apostles worked when it came to difficult issues but there was there's no planning meeting here i mean this is the most significant transition arguably as we've said in the book of acts and yet you know, it didn't come out of a planning meeting it didn't come out of someone's good idea hey you know what i really think we could do this this is how we could really take this mission further i mean we've had some success but i really feel like there's some strategies here i feel like there's some Ways in which we can make inroads into the Gentiles. Now, I'm not saying at all that strategy meetings are bad and that planning and common sense is not something that God will ever use. But as the Lord is sovereignly at work, here's what continues to happen, is that the Lord leads in sovereign but surprising ways. I mean, you couldn't have planned this if you wanted to. Peter's here through this whole random series of events. There's Cornelius, the centurion, some 30 miles away. There's angels, there's trances and visions from heaven. It's this sovereign, undeniably the Lord, but undeniably unexpected working and outworking of the Lord. See, again, as we've said already, as, as God accomplishes His plan... It's not been through the efforts and the wisdoms and the strategizing of man. It's been as the people that he's chosen have been filled, equipped, empowered, and then directed, sometimes unexpectedly, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So what is it that we can do then? If, this is, if there is this sense, which I believe there is, of the sovereign timing of God and His moment, something that we can't necessarily manufacture, what is it that is our responsibility? Because this is not then an invitation to say, well, if God's going to do it, He's going to do it. He's just going to do it. So just like perhaps Peter was doing, let's just look for the little house by the sea and put the feet up and He's going to do it anyway. There is this sense, and this is the second part of the first point, but this is important for us, particularly in the midst of the season, I believe, that we find ourselves in. We are at all times to be a people who know how to posture ourselves before Him. See, yes, there is this sense of sovereign timing. You could never have planned the events. It's not planning, but 100% it is posturing. And here's where we find Caesarea. It says he is in the midst of where when the Lord encounters him? In the midst of prayer. For Peter, as he gets the vision, where do we find Peter? It says he's gone up the top of the house to do what? To pray. To pray. So these... There is clearly this sense of the sovereign timing of the Lord, but there is also clearly, I believe, a sense of the intentional posturing of the people that he would choose. Scripture says the Lord looks to and fro. It says not for the people who have the best planning strategies, the best meetings, the best natural ability. It says, no, he looks for people whose hearts are his. See, if, if we're really to move forward in the things of the kingdom, then we need to be a people who know how to posture ourselves before him. Let me try and explain it this way. We've um, been away, the bakers, for a few weeks, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of good opportunities to uh, use our holiday escapades as sermon illustrations. But on the way back, we spent a week on the Gold Coast, which is a place that we love to go. My brother lives in that particular part of the world. And this uh, particular holiday, he very generously had offered to pay for my kids for a week of surfing lessons. He's, um, we, we've both loved surfing. He's, these days, doing a lot more surfing. In fact, he's always kind enough to send me a, a photo from Indonesia or... Wherever else he is, catching some exotic waves, just letting you know, here I am. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. And so uh, he said, look, I've, he, he had a very good friend who um, we've met a number of times when we've been up there, who's a, an ex-professional surfer. So he's actually from South America. He was on the, the pro surfing tour. Uh, Sergi is his name. He said, I'd love to, to get Surgy to give your girls, your kids, uh, a week of surfing lessons. I'll pay for it. I'll cover it all. And I think that would be you know, a great thing for you to do. I said, fantastic, good. And so we rocked up there for the surfing lessons. And of course, I've you know, gone surfing with the girls and I've given them, them tips and strategies. And, but it's very different when you get someone who is a professional surfer. They've got the aura, they've got the skills and the technique. I mean, for starters, the kids actually listen to someone like that. It's amazing how, as a parent, you move from being, I remember when they were little, like as a father, you're, you're the Superman. You're so strong and you're so wise and then you hit teenage years and all of a sudden you're not qualified to speak on anything. I don't know how that transition takes place. But we had these surfing lessons, and Sergi, who he now, for a living, he, he, um, he's retired, he's not on the professional surfing scene, but he does surfing lessons on the, on the Gold Coast. So he's fantastic at what he does, and they had an amazing time. But I remember him saying as he was preparing the girls, he said, look, we're going to get out in the waves, but he said, if you really want to know the difference between the surfers who are really good and the others who are just average, have said it's not actually what goes on out there at all. So the two keys are, number one, you've got to learn to watch, and number two, you've got to learn to wait. And so we're there on the beach break. And he said, there's all these variables on the beach. I mean, you've got shifting tides, you've got swells, you've got the banks, you've got the wind conditions. He said, number one, before you do anything else, you've got to learn to watch. Well, where are the waves breaking? Where's the peak? He said, in smaller conditions, that'll make the difference between catching all the waves and catching none of the waves. In larger conditions, that'll make the difference between catching the wave of your life or struggling for your life in the midst of the impact zone because you paddled out in in the the wrong position on the beach so i said number one you got to watch and not just before you get in when you're out there you got to be looking because things shift with the tides with you know the tides coming in the tide coming out the wind's picking up the conditions are always changing so you're always watching what's the surf doing where are the best waves. Where do I need to be to position myself in order to catch the wave? You see, we can't control the waves, but we can do a lot to position ourselves to catch the waves when they come. Number one is watching. Number two is waiting. So you've got to learn to wait. And even when the wave's coming, you don't want to uh, try and paddle too early, and you certainly don't want to leave it too late. You've got to learn to wait just for that moment, to see it coming, to watch And to wait. In fact, it was great. Often, as he'd so, he'd paddle with the girls. He'd wait for the wave, and then just if they needed a bit of help as they were getting on, he'd just give them a nudge along, just kind of push them along, and off they'd go. And they caught far more waves out there than I did, which they were very proud about. But see, I think that this—it's exactly the same in the kingdom, isn't it? We can't control the waves, and that's not our mission to strategize. How can we get bigger waves? But it is our need and our urgency to be a people who know how to watch and who know how to wait. So there is this undeniable reality in this story of the sovereign working of God, of his timing, of his kairos moments, but of a people who were prepared. They were prepared. Okay, God is doing this. The question to us is how are we positioning ourselves in this season? What is our response in times where it does feel like, you're like, well, Lord, what's, what's happening? Where's the momentum? Where's, what, what are you doing? It's, it, it's a confusing season. So what is it we're going to do to position ourselves to look for those kairos moments in the sovereign timing of the Lord? So number one, there's that picture of timing. Number two, there is this picture Of tension. There is an undeniable tension in this account. And just think of it this way, I love the contrast between Cornelius. Cornelius is there, we said he's a a God-fearing man, he's generous, he loves to pray, and he's there and the angel appears. He says, oh, you know, your your works have risen as a memorial before the Lord, and God's going to open the door, you and your family are going to be saved, God's got an amazing plan for your life, call for Peter, it's just going to be wonderful. And that was Cornelius' invitation into what the Lord had for him. And then contrast that to Peter. He's sitting there, he's been looking in the real estate windows, perhaps thinking about buying a little retirement house by the sea. He goes up the top of the roof to just spend some time in the presence of the Lord, perhaps feeling the, you know, the warm sea air and breeze on his skin. And he's there seeking the Lord. And what does he get? He gets something that is so incredibly, for him, confronting and problematic. He's up there, spending time with the Lord. He gets this offensive vision. No, no, Lord. And and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's confused, hungry, and uncomfortable, thinking, God, what on earth is going on? And what is it that you are saying to me? You see, all of us would like the Cornelius, Where the Lord comes, he says, Adam, the Lord's got a wonderful plan for your life, and here is what he is going to do. But so often the Lord leads the way that he is leading here Peter. How does he lead him? He puts him right in the midst of a problem. There's this tension. There's this wrestling for him. And very quickly, let me just give you the, the highlights of what this tension is all about. Because sometimes I think we could perhaps overlook the offense that Peter has. Why is it that he is so offended? He says, Lord, I, I, I've not done this since I was born. This, this is good and right for me to obey the dietary requirements that are in the Mosaic law. And l- let's be honest. There's nothing bad in and of themselves about those particular laws. In fact, God used them for a particular sign and a particular time and a season. And yet something significant had now transpired, and it was something that Peter was yet to catch up with. And this is the phrase that the Lord uses. He says, Peter, here's the problem. What God has cleansed, do not call unclean. There is a work of God that has happened that you're still not able to embrace, and you need to be able to embrace it for the reality of what God wants to unfold to be accomplished. So there is this shift, what God has cleansed. God has done this incredible work, and yet there is a reality of something that He wants to deal with, not just through Peter's life, but in Peter's life. So why the tension? Why is it that the Lord places Peter in this position of tension? Why is there not always the Corneliuses? Why is there the Peters? And I would say simply this, that the tension is the very thing that the Lord will use to accomplish not only what he wants to do through our lives, but to deal with the things that he needs to deal with. In our lives, yeah. This was not just an encounter that for Peter was trying to develop in him a love for new dietary elements. It's not about a love for bacon, it's about dealing with his beliefs and barriers. And there is this truth that we see here and often throughout scripture that we cannot receive the new mandate, the new move, the new mission until there is a capacity for God to deal with the old mindsets there is often a wrestle in the kingdom there often is in fact as i look back at my journey with the lord i think i've learnt and i've grown far more in those seasons of tension and wrestling as I have said, Lord, this doesn't make sense, but I want to wrestle this through, whether it was issues of theology or the purpose, direction of my life, things that needed to die, things that needed to be given life. It's in the midst of the wrestling that God is able to, do, to deal with the things through us in order to, or in us, in order for him to accomplish the things that he wants to deal with through us. In this transition. I was having a a conversation with a a very good friend of mine, many of you would know Matt King. He was a part of our church for uh, a number of years and then the Lord really called him to go and do some ministry training overseas and then for the last couple of years at least he's been based in Europe and his passion, his heart was always in the space of being an evangelist. That was his passion, to see people wonder the kingdom, to see people saved, um, and he was a part of a group. There was a whole movement, sort of, uh, before COVID hit, really. Uh, Europe shall be saved, big conferences, and a number of people involved in that movement were saying it's, it was like nothing that had ever been seen in Europe, certainly not in our lifetime, like there was an openness to the gospel. You put on a conference and thousands of people would come and, and there'd be... Um, response to older calls, a lot of people would come forward and make decisions. And as I had this conversation with him recently, I said, how's it going? He said, look, it's really interesting because there were so many of us who felt this stirring from the Lord that God was going to do something big in Europe, like all these prophetic words about 100 billion soul." 100 billion, 100 million soul harvest in Europe, like God was going to open the doors and we sort of saw the, the groundswell happening. There was a lot that God was doing. and am really expecting 2020, it was just going to kick off, like that was going to be the catalyst to see revival come to Europe and there's a lot of stirring in that regard. He so said, the funny thing was, we hit 2020 and COVID hit. And so he said, since 2020 and COVID, there's been absolutely nothing, like everything has completely shut down. In fact, a lot of parts throughout um, Scandinavia, he was saying he's based in Norway and other pockets of Europe, you can still only have eight people gathering together in a room, and that's been the case right the way since the beginning of COVID. So we, we had a great conversation. We kind of wrestled through these things that it's funny that so often God will give This word, he'll give us a promise. He'll say, here is what I'm wanting to do in your life, in your church, in the world. And yet in the very next moment, the next phase of God unfolding that. And I said, look, I I believe that God is up to something. Not just in Europe, but I think in the nations across the world. But I do believe that we are in a season where there's a real process for us to walk through, where there is a real tension. But we need to embrace that tension. It's like a pruning season. It's never comfortable and it's never nice. But if we want the fullness of the promise that the Lord has for us, then it's a necessary process to go through. And my prayer personally, my prayer for us as a people, for each of us is, well, Lord, what are you saying in, for us personally that, that needs to be pruned? What are you saying that needs to be stripped back? What do we need to remove and to lay down and to get rid of, whether it's belief systems, whether it's barriers that are going to hinder that which you want to do in the next season? And I do believe for for the Peters of the Bible where he was willing to say, okay, well, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to lay it down, that there will be pivotal moments. There will be a season of great fruitfulness. But there is that reality for us of needing to walk through the tension. So we've seen the sovereign timing of the Lord. We've seen this undeniable tension and wrestling. And number three, very very quickly, we see this picture from both Cornelius and Peter, although they're a little confused for different reasons, although they don't have the full picture, and Peter's continually asked to, he asked the, um, the group of people that come to his house as he meets Cornelius, he asked Cornelius, do you know what's going on here? Does anyone know? Like, can someone give me some clarity? I'm not quite sure what it is that's happening. He didn't know the full story. But what it says with Peter is it says, immediately he obeyed. So there's timing and there's tension. But there is a reality of people who would trust the Lord. We don't see it all, but Lord, we're choosing to put our trust in you. And Joppa was a place of trust. There's one description of uh, Abraham, and of course, he was another man that the Lord called despite the impossibility of him fulfilling that which God had promised him, that he would be the father of many nations. And I always wonder, what is it that, that that, that causes the Lord to choose someone like Peter? or Abraham. And it says this, the Lord gives us this description in Genesis 18, verse 17 to 19 of Abraham. And God says, here's why I chose Abraham. I know the kind of man he is. And if I ask him to do something, then I have confidence in him that he will do it. What is it that the Lord looks for? Well, There's many things, but here's one real key, especially if we're to to move forward in what the Lord has for us. And it's the people that the Lord would look at. And he says, here's one certainty I know about Vision Church, about each and every one of us here, that if I ask them to do something, I have confidence that they would do it. They would obey, not knowing the full picture, not necessarily having all the details worked out, but there are people who would hear the call, and respond in faith accordingly. So what do we learn from this place called Joppa? We have this picture here that I think is so relevant to us about how God orchestrates. We see this wonderful, again, as we've seen through the book of Acts, illustration of God's sovereign moments in His timing, of our need to position ourselves of watching and waiting we see this picture of a divine tension of wrestling through of allowing God to deal with the the mindsets and the beliefs and the barriers that he needs to and we see this picture of people who although they might not have had the complete picture were willing to trust and to step out in faith timing tension and trust I'd like to pray for us if you just want to put your your Bibles away and just turn your attention to the Lord to see what he might do in our midst. And I want to ask us, before I pray, because I do feel in many ways that this is a season like we've just read described in the book of Acts, that for many of us, we are in a place like Joppa. And I feel like the Lord is calling some of us to reposition ourselves and giving us that challenge. Well, how are we positioning ourselves in this season? Are we positioning ourselves? When things look a little uncertain, when things look a little confusing... They're the times more than ever to watch and wait. Lord, what what is it that you're saying? How is it that we can position ourselves and be ready for that which we need to do? I believe that some of us are are in that place. Perhaps that picture of tension is one that for us, that's something that resonates. I I feel there is. There's some, some wrestling through. Wrestling through in terms of things that I'd held on to and that I thought were We're right and good and all of a sudden it feels like the Lord's maybe calling me to lay some of those down. Remembering that 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 tension is so often a necessary work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For him to deal with what he needs to deal with in our lives so that he can accomplish all that he wants to do through our lives. And lastly, maybe for some of us, there is that sense of trust. Perhaps the Lord is calling us to take a step out, to move in a certain direction. And yet there, to this day, it hasn't been that sense of, yes, Lord, I'll trust you. Maybe we're waiting. Well, Lord, hang on. I, I just need to. Have some extra confirmation. I just need to see the full picture. I need fill in the blank. It's a moment this morning just for the Lord to just encourage us and invite us to step out with faith and with boldness. And the one thing that is actually certain, and that's the certainty of a God who leads us, a God who is able to keep us to keep us from stumbling and he's the one who can lead us home so Father I just want to pray for each and every one of us here and for those as well who are tuning in either now or later and just pray that there be a moment here with you just a holy moment Holy Spirit I ask just for you to come and to just show us David would pray, Lord, show us anything that is in our hearts that's not pleasing in your sight. Show us, Lord, where there's things that need to be repositioned, recalibrated. Show us, Lord, how we can be watching and waiting more constructively. Show us, Lord, where there's things that maybe do need to be wrestled through, laid down, where there's barriers that you're wanting to, to break through. And I pray, Lord, that that we would be a people that you could look at and say, one thing is certain about them. I know that when I ask them, when I'm leading them, that they will respond in faith. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your wonderful name. I'd encourage you just if uh, the Lord's doing some things in your hearts and life, there's, there's no need to rush away. I'll just ask the prayer ministry team to come forward. Obviously, with the display on my right, your left, we'll just have the one side available for prayer ministry this morning. If you'd like prayer for anything and everything, there's an opportunity there for someone just to really pray with you. It's a privilege to be able to do that. Of course, as we uh, announced before, we have the prophetic ministry as well, which, just in case anybody isn't aware of what that is, it's an opportunity just for you to receive a word. We have people that we trust as as members of our church who we know do hear from the Lord, and they would simply just wait and encourage you with anything they feel from Him. And... Um, well worth availing yourself of as well so if you'd like prayer just come forward to my left to your right prophetic ministry of course will happen in the cafe so in your own time you can head out there as well bless you this week it's been good to just worship and fellowship together and look forward to seeing you next sunday amen